In just a moment, we are going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 25. So if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to, to join me there. Um, yesterday, or uh, yeah, I believe it was yesterday, made a hospital visit, um, visiting somebody near and dear to many of us in the church family who had fallen earlier in the week, uh, broken part of the hip as best we as the best I know, and in surgery this morning, and then headed to rehabilitation after that. In other words, there was a, something happened, needed a diagnosis. Upon receiving the diagnosis, here's what we need to do. We need to do surgery, and we need to do it right away. And then, hopefully, if that surgery goes well, then we'll rehabilitate. That's what the Bible says uh, we need. There's something wrong with us, Right? Where do these griefs, where do these sorrows come from? They come from actually sin. The fall wasn't an accident, you know. Uh, so I don't want to stretch the analogy too far with a man undergoing some hardship. It was intentional. What was the fall according to Scripture? Is that the creation looked at their creator and said, we will replace you. We got this. We'll act as gods for ourselves. We'll choose for ourselves what's right, what's wrong. And, and in doing so, actually disconnected us from God. And friends, it doesn't matter what you try to fill your life up with, until unless you're reconciled to God, life will be an unending series of emptiness seeking to be filled. But the good news is that God isn't just telling, uh, willing to tell us what's wrong. He's willing to say, here's what we need to do. There needs to be a substitute, an atoning sacrifice for your sins. Because again, you've created a mess in your life that you yourself are not equipped to handle. You can't make it better. You can't clean it up. You might remember from Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, that was Adam and Eve's initial instinct was to, to, to cover themselves, to do something themselves to make it all better. Yet that didn't solve their alienation from God, and it also didn't solve their alienation from one another, right? And, uh, and then after atonement has been made, we need someone to, I don't know if rehabilitate's the right word, but teach us, here's how you really do live. And the Old Testament, just hang with me, that's what God does through three offices, prophet, priest, and king. The prophet says, here's what the Lord says the issue is. Your heart is deceitful, thus says the Lord, right? Jeremiah chapter, chapter 9. So in a generation that says, follow your heart, we want to be people said, no, that'll end in disaster. We don't need to follow our heart. We actually need a new heart. But then the priest comes along and says, atonement needs to be made. But all these Old Testament uh, lambs and so on and so forth aren't sufficient. We need a, a, a substitutionary atoning sacrifice that really can atone for our sins. And, and that's who Jesus is. When he dies on the cross, his body is broken, his blood is shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And then, after we've been restored through grace to a right relationship with God, we welcome the authority of Jesus. That's how Matthew's gospel ends. All authority is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. In other words, we obey him. Right? So, so a strategy of the enemy is to just kind of come in and mix all that up. For example, there's a lot of people who believe that it's by obeying God that we'll be reconciled to him. That's out of order, friends. Can't do it. You, you, you would, I, I would encourage you not to trust your best day to stand before the Lord and say, I accomplished what you told me to do, Right? It's by grace we are saved through faith. That's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Oh, we need the grace of God. Praise the Lord, we have the grace of God 
in Christ Jesus. We're in a series of sermons uh, through the life of David, and we've come to 1 Samuel chapter 25. So I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of Scripture. So 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse 1 is our passage for today. And here's what the word of the Lord says. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Now I'm going to pause for a moment, and what I want you to do is just take a few moments and ask the Lord to speak to you through his word, what we just read. Because whether or not we recognize it right now, what we just read has huge significance for your life. So ask God to help you see what that is. Father, thank you for your word. And now we ask that you would use scripture to help us, to encourage us, to to correct us, to um, really teach us about you, who you are and what you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, you may be seated. I'm, I'm, I'm not good at all It's coming up on sermon titles. I find great comfort in the fact that one of the scriptural requirements for a pastor is not you must come up with creative and catchy sermon titles. It just says a, uh, uh, a pastor must preach the word, amen? So here's the sermon title, four things to do before you die. At least it's clear, right? But we want to see in 1 Samuel chapter 25, we just want to walk through this one verse. As a matter of fact, it's not even the whole verse. You might see that it goes on a little bit longer than what we've even read. And I just want to tell you that this is not the sermon that I was planning to preach today. I love the life of David. And so David's life is sort of like um, in the old days when we had albums we would listen to. You know, do you ever have an album and you just listen to it? And when one song would end, you just even knew what the next song was. And David's life is kind of like that for me. And so I knew after the cave with Saul, the next kind of big scene for David is David and Abigail. This foolish man named Nabal comes along and makes a really poor decision, and that's what I assumed we would talk about today. And so uh, oftentimes what my kind of habit is, is on Monday mornings I open up the Bible and start to read through what's next, and I got to verse 1, and I'll just be honest with y'all, I didn't get any further. I don't know if it was the seriousness of the the events that have unfolded, but having read verse 1, it's almost like the Holy Spirit said, You need to think about that. Think about what that says, what that means, and what that means is true for your church, the people you love and care about. So brief, this one verse, but as I sat there, realizing, friends, these these are sober and serious days. I feel like there's this tension in our culture where we want these to be days of frivolity and just happy-go-lucky, but but we keep coming up on the reality that they're actually serious days, and this is a serious verse, and what I encourage you to is you don't need to try to distract yourself from the seriousness of life. I think we almost have a collective coping mechanism to just be distracted constantly, because things are so serious, well, let's just stream a few more videos and let's spend another 30 minutes on YouTube so we don't have to really think about what's actually happening in the world. 
And I feel a little weight from the Lord saying, no, we really need to pay attention. As a matter of fact, followers of Jesus should be the most sober-minded people in the world. That doesn't mean dour, you know what I mean? We should be the most joyful, but also the most sober and serious. So I just want to walk in and, and really just take a phrase at a time from verse number 1 of chapter 25. We've been studying through David's life and hadn't seen Samuel in a while, right? And he had stood before the people and warned them, if you ask for a king, you better be careful what you ask for because this person, this king that you look to to, to deliver you and to overcome your enemies, he's, he's actually not going to do that. He's not going to make things better. He's going to make things worse. And now that he dies these many years later, what's proven true? He was 100% right, wasn't he? So friends, practical, practical things for your life. You don't need people in your life to tell you what you want to hear. You need people in your life who tell you what you need to hear. People who know the word of the Lord. People who are not hurrying from one thing to the next, but listen to God. And therefore, if we don't really listen to God, we don't have a lot to say. However, we live in a culture that has words coming at us thousands a day, right? Now... Samuel died. I think, I think we know that we will die. We just don't know when. That's what I take from verse very first word. Now Samuel died. There, 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 there came a moment where it happened. And I don't know if this is helpful or not, but the word the Bible uses most frequently to describe when people die is die. Samuel died. Sometimes we come up with, uh, I think, in an effort to kind of soften or be comforting different phrases than that. But the Bible says Samuel died. Well, Monday morning, part of what I was thinking through is uh, over that weekend, last weekend, there's a friend. He, we, we weren't close, close friends, but we knew each other in seminary. He's about my age, a little bit older, but not much, similar season of life. He's in ministry like me, and like me, he's got five children. His life, no indication of bad health. As a matter of fact, he was participating in an Ironman race, swimming when he went into cardiac arrest. He died. And when I heard that, I was stunned. Probably all of us in the room have had an experience like that, right? Someone that you received the news, they've died and, and, and just would never have expected it. So in verse 1, when it says now, I think what the Scripture attests to in your own experience attests to is that, that now happens to young people, happens to older people. Some see it coming, others that, that do not. I think I've likely shared the story with you that Adrian Rogers uh, shared a couple of times when I lived in Memphis and he was my pastor, and uh, uh, he, he had, Adrian Rogers had been invited to West Memphis, Arkansas to preach a revival. So he went, and when he got there, um, the pastor of the church was a, was a young man and uh, said, Dr. Rogers, would you please make a visit with me? There, there's a man who lives near our church, and, and he does not have much time to live. I've shared the gospel with him, I've prayed with him, I've talked to him, but he has been so resistant to repenting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and 
And this week, the doctors have said, your time is very short. So they went. And Dr. Rogers said, I visited with him, shared the gospel with him, prayed for him. About Jesus dying on the cross for his sins. About God's grace for those who repent. And that dying man believed. And then Adrian Rogers said, that man who they gave days to live recovered and lived for years. And that young pastor died within the month. And of course, his point is obvious. You never know when you're now. It's now. Another observation to make here from just this one word now is it came in a sensitive time in Saul's life. And we studied this last week, but what I want to do is just kind of, you know, originally as written, the Bible didn't have chapter divisions. Those were added later to make it a little more easy to find our place, so to speak. So let's just read as if there's no chapter break. In the end of what we call chapter 24, verse 16, as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I. You've repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil, right? This is when Saul realizes that David could have killed him, could have taken him out, but showed mercy instead. Verse 18, you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, he will let him go. Uh, For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that your kingdom, that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now Samuel died. And here's what I want to get at. It's the first time in a long time that Saul has demonstrated any sensitivity to the voice of God. We've read chapter after chapter after chapter where Saul has been full of rage. We called him Saul the Destroyer because he's a man of manipulation, misrepresentation, accusation, all the stuff we've talked about. And he's been after David and then David shows him mercy. And Saul says these things that seem like finally... He's waking up a little bit to how destructive his life has been and sensitive to the things of God. And the seeming one person that's ever been able to speak some true and hard things into Saul's life has died. Now, here's the point of emphasis. We we know, we know, if we keep on reading, that Saul is desperate to speak to Samuel one more time. We're a couple of chapters away where he's going to flat out go to a witch and say, Which can you draw up Samuel from the dead so we can speak? So here's the point of emphasis. Friends, and this keeps coming up in 1 Samuel, so I'm hoping that what I'm about to say isn't true about what I'm about to say. There are things that seem urgent that if put off, begin to seem less urgent when you hear from the Lord. Does that make sense? When God says you need to repent, you cannot keep going the way that you're going The best time to listen to God is right then. So you procrastinate, you put off, you say, well, I'll get around to that one day. How do you know that? I love Adrian Rogers. Adrian Rogers, I'll give you another Adrian Rogers quote. He said, the devil has two days, yesterday and tomorrow. 
Either you're caught up in what happened yesterday or you're looking at what might happen tomorrow. The Lord has one day today. Today is the day of salvation. So I say this kindly, but if you're sitting in your life, hey, here's this sinful stronghold I've got, and I'll put it off one day. No, you won't. Not if you're not going to do it today. If you've got a relationship that's strained, and you felt the Holy Spirit who is... uh, who is uh, leading us to have relationships that are reconciled on the basis of our reconciliation with God through Christ, if he's leading you to say, you need to sit down, you need to talk, you need to have this serious conversation with this family member or this friend, and you know that it's strained, and you keep saying, I will one day, you probably won't, unless God intervenes and helps you to see the seriousness of, now Samuel died. Because when Samuel died, every sermon that he was ever going to preach had been preached. Every person he was ever going to talk to, he's talked to. Now, here's a, here's a good testimony from Samuel's life. Think about it this way. If Saul did have an opportunity to sit down and talk with Samuel, Samuel would not have said anything to Saul that he had not already said. And that's a worthwhile goal for you to have in your life with those that you care about. Friends, the, the tragedy is not someone hears the gospel and doesn't believe. The tragedy is someone never hears the gospel at all. So two quick applications to those you love. When you die, die with nothing left unsaid about the Lord. And second, you never know when you've received your last opportunity to really hear from the Lord. Do you know what I mean when I say that? When you resist the voice and call of God, your heart hardens a little bit more. The day to listen to God is today. So again, I make an appeal. Is there something God has said to you through his word that at one time felt so urgent, but you didn't respond to? And now it doesn't seem, doesn't seem so urgent. Friends, that doesn't mean it's not urgent. It's just mean that your ability to see what's urgent has diminished was there a time he revealed to you a sinful stronghold a gossiping tongue or a lustful eye or an unforgiving spirit or a lack of courage in sharing the gospel and the more time you chose not to obey the less urgent it seems again it's not the urgency that's diminished it's our capacity to respond to the urgency here's what i believe i believe god can bring some fresh urgency can i get an amen trust that he sees the end from the beginning Let's keep walking through the verse. Now, Samuel died. Let's take a moment to reflect on the life of Samuel. When he was born, there was no one in all of Israel who really listened to God. Nobody. When he died, everyone could name one person who really listened to God. That's a life well lived. Amen? Now, he's not perfect. We know that. He's born... uh, the time when Eli, the priest, doesn't walk with God. His son certainly didn't walk with God. Samuel was born at a time when the Bible describes it. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sounds a lot like now. That was the summary of the generation that Samuel was born into. But Samuel did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So a few quick things about Samuel, just reflecting on his life. He had a praying mom. Can we just pause for a moment? I don't know that there's anything more influential in the kingdom of God and in the world 
than moms who pray for their children. You don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you had a mom who prayed for you? At nighttime, at our house, we have this tradition of sorts, I guess. Julie usually puts, well, always puts Jenna to bed, enters the nursery, and sits down. And as I'm sitting downstairs, I hear this, Dada! Dada! I go upstairs and we have this tradition, group hug, and then we call it a sandwich kiss, where I kiss one cheek and Julie kisses the other. It is changing a little bit. Jenna pretty much wants milk all the time now, so just go get my milk. I'm just being, I've gone from group hug to go get my milk, but that's, that's all right. And then I quietly leave the room, and we've got this rocking chair in there. That I've watched 2005, 2007, 2010, 2013, all the way up to 2023. Rocking, occupied by two people. A praying mom and her child. And I believe... The most influential things in the life of my children are not going to be daddy's sermons as much as mama's prayers. So, so I want to say to praying moms and grandmas from the scripture, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. Again, before Samuel was born, nobody could name a single person who really sought after God. When Samuel died, everybody could. What's the one thing? What's the one thing people will say about you when you die? Friends, I do a right good number of funerals. I sit in a right good number of homes. Sometimes around the kitchen table, sometimes in the living room. We sit down, and I usually ask, tell me, tell me about your mom. Tell me about your dad. Tell me about your granddad. Tell me about your friend. What do you most appreciate about them is a question I often ask. And friends, I don't mean this in, I, I pray not in a mean, judgmental way. I hear all sorts of things. I hear about hobbies and trips, what team the person cheered for. And hey, I, you, you hear me. All those things have their place, right? But what about the Lord? What about the Lord? What... What are you leaving behind in terms of pointing other people to Jesus before you died? All Israel, we're told, next phrase, all Israel assembled and mourned for him. Can I give you a couple of practical things? I think this is indicative of how we should respond to death. Assemble means get together, gather together, and, and mourn. There is a sensitivity among people at the time of death that happens at no other time. And, and y'all, we live in a day when this kind of thing is just, just rushed through. We want to distract ourselves from death all the days that we live. And when death either comes in our life, we kind of want it over and done with as fast as possible. But what we're told here is that they're taking some time. Now, I know that Samuel is this uh, national leader. He's a person of some prominence. But... One of the things that I think happens sometimes is we don't actually give ourselves enough room in life to mourn. What did Jesus do? 
What did Jesus do? He's our best example, right? Somebody that he dearly loved, Lazarus, died. What did he do? He showed up. He went face to face with Lazarus' loved ones, hugged them, prayed with them, visited with them, talked to them. That's not all he did. <laughs> As a picture of what he will one day do, we know he, he had Lazarus and said, come out. I always say he had to say, Lazarus, come out. Because if he wasn't specific, everybody would have come out. He will do that one day. There's a time in the history of our churches, it's just an example of, uh, maybe we might want to recover the seriousness of these things. And I, I, I hesitate to give the example because I, I don't want it to go one way, and I don't, but, I'll, but, but you don't have to go that far back when a people who were going to come together and say, we're going to have a church and we're going to build a building, here's the first two things they would do. They would build a sanctuary with a pulpit, right? Say, here, we're going to be here, and we're going to study the Bible. And then if they had some property, do you know what the next thing they would do would be? They said, where are we going to set aside time for what? Or a place for what? A cemetery. Now, now most any time you go by a church today, and it's got a cemetery, what do you know about that church? It's been around for a little while, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not you know, I, I also can probably understand why we don't do that, because we won't go into all those details. Things get, who can be buried there, who can, and I can understand but, but what I am trying to say is there is a time to mourn. There is a time to mourn. We're told that all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they do it at Ramah. Now, I kind of already alluded to this, but if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10. The last time, I think I've got this right. I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 8. The last time Israel had assembled at Ramah, that's, that's, uh, that's Samuel's hometown. It's where Hannah prayed. That's where Samuel was born. And by the way, there is something to be said. I don't want to stretch this too far. There is something to be said. Never forget where you come from and make the place you were born, the location, better than it was before you were there. Just look at First uh, Samuel chapter eight verse four. All the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, "Behold, you are old. Not very polite, is it? Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations." The thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and what they say to you. If they've not rejected you, they have rejected me. So now we're here in chapter 25 and they're back. You ever go somewhere and you remember the last time you were there? Like just something stands out. And this is what happens here. <coughs> Excuse me. They can remember the last time we were here, Samuel gave us some warnings. And now he's dead and everything he said was true. So friends, when you give counsel to your loved ones, give it in such a way that it proves true as time goes on. They bury him all through the scripture. That is what we're told that people do when someone dies. They bury them, and then it's at, at Ramah again. So it's in light of these things, and we'll do this pretty quick. We'll do this pretty quick. Say so your sermon was called Four Things to Do Before You Die, and you haven't given us one of them. So here we go. Four things real quick. Number one, honor or begin a legacy of prayer in your family. One of the hallmarks of Samuel's life is that he had a mom who prayed for him. 
And I would tell you, if, if it's possible for you today, today, when you talk about things that you want to do before you die, I mean this uh, hopefully with grace and compassion. There are some things you want to do before those you love die. And one of them is if you can today express gratitude and thankfulness for parents who raised you, prayed for you, sacrificed for you, do it today. I have not been able in my own little life to talk to my dad since 1994. I would love to do that. I am able to talk to my mom, and without embarrassing her, I would say, and I don't know where I'd be without my mom. Honor your mother and father. Parents, let your children hear you pray for them. Matter of fact, just a little something uh, um, that I read one time, and I've tried to do it, but I don't do it very well. I'm trying to get back, is, is a build, build uh, patterns of prayer into your into your family, into your life. So if you're a parent and you take your child to school in the morning, two minutes before, and well, you can do it the whole time, that'd probably be better, but two minutes before you get to school, say, I'm going to pray for you now. And let your children hear. And I won't say, you already know this, but I'm going to emphasize this. Sometimes you think they're not listening, but guess what? They are. They are. So, so either honor or begin, or both, a legacy of prayer in your family. And children... Let your parents hear you pray for them. I think I've told you the story on a number of occasions. Here in Rocky Mount, I find in my pattern of life and pattern of driving that I was inevitably stuck at the same stoplight over and over and over. I'll go on and tell you which one it is. Leaving here, go down Winstead, left onto Forest Hill at the flashing yellow light, that stoplight at sunset. CBS, when I'm driving, CBS is over here, car washes over there. And I would just regularly almost catch the light and then stop. And I'm just, I'm, the, I'm that guy, I'm, uh, I'm irritated, a little bit angry, never made the light. And, and then one day it dawned on me, having read that book, to make moments of irritability times and places of prayer. So I just kind of said, every time I'm at that light, I'm going to pray. And there was one man in particular in our church family that God kind of, I think, put in my heart and mind to pray for. So that is a very prayed for man, by the way. And he is awesome. So I won't even say... Who it is. So it's, it's some, small, I'm, some small part of that is there. Friends, praying is an overflow of a heart set on God. We sang that. Set your hope on Jesus. Prayer is the overflow of, the, of that kind of heart. And a lack of prayer is an indication of a heart set on self. So you don't have to worry about getting caught up in sounding spiritual. I think that's part of the barrier. When we say, I don't want to pray out loud, we feel like it's the equivalent of public speaking. And that's the number one fear people have is to ever have to speak in public. You don't think about it that way. It's a child speaking to their heavenly father. How would Hannah's prayer sound like? God, please use my son. God, please let my son be sensitive to your voice. Almighty God, I'm asking you to help my son see your glory to walk in your ways. Number two, leave a written testimony of faith in God. There is going to come a time when you die, but you can leave a message in such a way that actually lasts beyond that point. We're in the book of 1 Samuel, right? And I'm not saying Samuel, obviously he didn't write 1 and 2 Samuel in their totality because he, he died, but he had an influence in it being written. Now, please hear me. I am not saying if you write something, it'll be the equivalent of Samuel or Moses or Paul writing scripture. I'm not saying that, but use and leverage the opportunity that you have. Here's what I mean. Some of us, and I do see this in Saul, some of us have loved ones who won't ever really listen to our testimonies about God until we die. 
I have seen this happen. So write it out. You just put it at the big, what I believe at the top, and then you just write it out. There is a way, I hope you understand what I mean by this. There is a way that you could speak after you die that you might not have opportunity to do while you're living. And it's not something that's going to be published for the masses. It's not going to be posted on social media. It's something to be shared with those that you love deeply. Because there might be someone in your life today that seems hardened to the gospel, uninterested in it. But in time, in time, as God works in their lives, one day will be more keenly interested in listening. So you can make that possible through the written word. Or hey, let's use technology for some good in the world. Video the testimony. Just sit down. And you might just put it away. And your children will probably have to update the technology, but they'll be able to play it. As a parent, write and record what it is that you love about your children. In other words, take out the guesswork, y'all, right? It will increase in value over time. Leverage the way that God's actually created and designed people. Everybody has a desire. I mean, I'm, how old am I? (laughs) 40-something years old. I still got this in my heart somewhere that said, I'd love to hear what my dad, if, I'd love to hear my dad say, I am proud of you. There is something, there is something in your role as a parent, a grandparent, that in the eyes of your children and grandchildren, your words and witness will actually increase in value over time, especially as they themselves become parents and grandparents. Some of you have had this blessing. Your son, your daughter has walked in the house and you could just tell their disposition was different. And it's finally dawned on him how wise you actually are. Why? Because now they've got children. And it took them having children to realize, wow, you really sacrificed for me. You had to stay up all night. Was I like this? I was recently with a precious lady in her 90s. And we sat and talked a good while. And so much of the content of her reflections and her life was how wise her mother was. Many of us. The older we get, the wiser we see our parents were. And in a world where everything is videoed and posted for everyone to see, I think there will especially be value in you leaving things for only them to see. So write it out. Video your testimony, your heart for your loved ones. We'll do the last two quickly. Number three, devote yourself to having a God-honoring influence on others. I know that sounds generic, I guess, but think about it. Israel mourned when Samuel died. Why? You just think about some of the things that probably were said. We should have listened to this man. This guy knew what he was talking about. When everybody else was caught up and carried up away with uh, the, the feelings of the moment, Samuel stood there and warned us, and he was right. Israel did not do what Samuel said, and I think they mourned in part because the warning he gave to them is coming to bear. You want a little grace? David rose and went down to the wilderness. God's, got, God's at work in the midst of their foolishness. Surely he has carried our sorrows, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. What is that verse telling us? Our initial response to God is always wrong. 
our initial response is to say, we know better. And that's why they're, uh, but, but can we get some good news? Even the grief and mourning that come as a result of us not listening to God, God carries. Israel could see that Samuel did not always tell them what they wanted to hear, but they could see that he devoted his life to telling them the truth of God. May it be so the day that you die. And number four, last one, listen to what God says about death. Don't run from it. I had a habit in high school and college. I was a major procrastinator. I even kind of talked myself into believing that I did my best work when I waited to the last minute. Like the pressure of having to get it done made my work better. Holy Spirit just brought some conviction to many of you because that's your approach too. And I think on this issue in particular, we are, we are major procrastinators because we think the now is not now. Now is some other time. But I will tell you, friends, to, to, to be one who, by God's grace, wants to tell you the, the truth. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. We could be sitting in here next Sunday, and I'm dead. We could be sitting here next Sunday, and someone here is. And... I don't really want to use that as a form of manipulation. That's not really what I want to do. But I'm going to close with three things in light of really listening to what God says about death. And the first one's simple and straightforward, and that's simply this. Are you ready? Are you ready for that moment? I don't want to stand before God on the basis of my record. Heard illustration one time, it's always stayed with me. You think about uh, standing before the Lord, and He knows all things, right? He knows all things. Omniscient. You can't hide anything from Him. And think about this: it's say you're standing before Him, you've died, and you know, the Bible, the Bible clearly teaches no reincarnation, no reset, no do-over. Dead, when you're dead, it's done. So suppose you're standing there and uh, say, all right, let's 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 watch Brandon's life. Here's Brandon's life. And really what my life has been is displayed on the big screen. I don't know. Anybody up for that? Would anybody say, please, (laughs) please don't show that? And I do think it's helpful in a way of thinking about it that for a follower of Jesus, all our griefs, all our sorrows, he's carried. But the way it works is if if I belong to him, that moment comes all right, put it on the big screen. What's actually shown is the life of Jesus. Here's, this, here's what Brandon is standing on. Not on the basis of his life, on the basis of Christ. I put my faith in Jesus. I set my hope in him. Have you done that? Not as some sort of, okay, I checked that box, so I'm ready for that day. I mean, have you seen how glorious he is, how good he is, how trustworthy he is, that he has carried your grief and sorrow? So first, are you ready? Second, is there a relationship in your life you grieve to think over leaving in the state it's currently in? If you or the other person should die today, if so, ask God to help you. Ask God to help you. Who takes the first step, if that's true? Whoever wants to be most like Jesus? When our relationship with with God was broken, God didn't do the breaking, but he took the first step in the fixing. Do you know what I'm saying? 
And, and then third, if you take inventory of your life, are you making a God-honoring, Christ-exalting influence on others? All Israel assembled and mourned for him. Are you making a Christ-honoring, <clears throat> a God-honoring, Christ-exalting influence on others, or are you just kind of marking time, distracted from the seriousness of the things that we've talked about today? In a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to pray, and we're going to respond and uh, trust the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will take the word and now bring it to bear in your, in your life. If you've got something on your heart, a deep concern or, or, or something that would just be a blessing to pray with someone about, I'm going to stand right here. It would be my joy. Pray with you. You might want to come to the front and just kind of a fresh new resolve if there's an urgency. Sometimes it is helpful. I found in my life it's helpful to kind of physically respond to something God's doing in my life spiritually. You're welcome to come here to the front to pray, to say, God, restore to me urgency, or God, help me in this relationship, or God, I want to be ready. And then if you have never submitted your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered to him, it would be my joy to, to talk to you, to pray with you here at the time of response. And I always wanted you to know I'm never in a rush. After the service, I'll be here. be my joy to sit down and, uh, and talk with you. Can, I don't know how to ask it other than, can he, can he trust me? I'm not trying to manipulate you on this. This is serious. You don't really know when the now is. And God in his goodness and grace is willing to help us be ready on that day. To step when you take your last breath here into his presence forever. What a glorious day that will be. Let's stand together. We'll pray together. We'll respond to the Lord together. Father, I ask for a couple of things. Number one, Lord, that we would be ready. What more could you have done for us than what you have done for us in Christ Jesus? Surely, 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 he has carried our griefs, borne our sorrows. And now as followers of Jesus, we esteem him as glorious, glorious, glorious. Father, I pray that you would be at work in such a way that it show up in our relationships with those that we love, with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our city, with our community, and on to the nations that we are people who joyfully take the first step because we serve a king who took the first step for us. So would you bring some hope and healing to fractured relationships and then father would you give us grace that we are a church that is leveraging the really brief lives we have for eternity and we ask this in jesus name now lead us holy spirit we respond amen